This podcast contains adult content, so if you've got little ears in the car, you may want to turn it down. We also go deep into the emotional, spiritual, and energetic worlds, so please open your hearts and proceed with care. As soon as your outer vestments are in hand, I know you're easy. Even when you're a woo 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 Welcome to the Woo Wooverse. I am Kiralee. And I'm Lynette. And we are your intrepid tour guides to both your inner world and the outer universe. Get you a guide that can do both. How you doing, Elle? I think back to when we were talking in changes and zeitgeist and we were talking about this time that we would be in this frequency and what were we going to do about it and how we were going to cope. I don't think we could have quite imagined. We we didn't necessarily expect the frequency to step forward and smack us across the face quite like it did. We were ready for it, but maybe not that ready for it. (laughs) Well, we knew that something was going to have to come to shift consciousness and structures and authority and all of that kind of stuff. But I think we're now sitting back and going, whew, that was big. But it's like how to balance now. How do we get, find ourselves amongst all this? How do we find ourselves and each other amongst mm. what has been and what still is going? Let's be honest. Yeah, yep. it's not over yet, is it? Well, going into lockdown for what, the second or third time? Yeah, so we record this podcast in Australia, as you can probably hear by our accents. We are both in Australia. <laughs> and Australian. Australian. And it is a very different situation here in Australia than it is in many places in the world at the moment because actually we call them donut days here the days where there's no cases at all and it's kind of donut day after donut day we we don't we still have some restrictions but very different like we really acknowledge that if you're in Europe if you're in America if you're in South America if you're in Africa things are very very different for you right now and we yeah we just want to acknowledge that straight up that. that yeah yeah. And I, I think, you know, look, it's still it's still affecting everyone on mm. some level because we have people who we're connected to in different parts of the world. And at any moment, you know, one of our states can get locked down. So we're still all living in that mm. energy of tender hooks. But you're right, on a daily basis, I don't send my kids to school and think, oh, my goodness, at this point anymore. But it's this feeling, I guess, that the whole equilibrium has shifted. Yeah, There's no centre. Even with the election, you know, it was not clearly defined one end of the seesaw or the other. The seesaw is like going, arr, arr. and I think, how are we all coping yeah. in the middle of all this, coming from all the different places we have been, the trauma? It's a really big question, mm. isn't it? Like how we're going to get through this phase yeah. Yeah. of that Terminal. And I think I was doing this, and I, I know that a few other people have been doing this as well, this idea that, well, 2020 is the bin fire, and all we've got to do is get through 2020, and then 2021, we're just like back to normal, whatever that is, it'll be fine. And actually yeah, that's COVID normal. probably, and not even just COVID normal, but like we can all relax after that. And I don't think that's going to be the case. I certainly think with climate change accelerating and, and, and the pandemic continuing that and the economic fallout of the pandemic that actually, maybe, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud, maybe 2020 is the beginning and not the end. Well, it, your, 2020 was definitely the end of a very long period of mm. the age of 
Pisces and now we begin the age mm. of Aquarius language of energy. But you're right, it was the beginning of that journey. So mm. the, the restructuring after the virus is going through everything. It's mm. that whole systemic stuff that we keep talking about, the change of the whole system, not just the system community level, but personally. So yeah. our whole, it's like we keep saying it's like we're learning to adult mm. on the planet. It's like we're, we're driving the ship and all of us are like, hey, don't give me the wheel. Yeah, yeah. And then I know what like, I'm doing. Hold on, I don't want you taking the wheel from me. <laughs> So we're kind of in this, I think, didn't we say we're about 28, that spiritual Saturn returns yeah. or something where we're yeah. like, okay, let's step up, let's do things differently. But that yeah. is pretty confusing and it's a big task. Yeah. So let's not be hard on ourselves, but how are we going to get through this? There's some hard conversations. How are you getting through this, Kay? How are you soothing? <laughs> One day at a time. How are you going time? with the waves? Um, Uh yeah, I'm one day at a time and being really, 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 really kind to myself because I'm doing that thing where I've got to the end of the year and I had a few plans and I was like, oh, I haven't done this yet. And why didn't I do that yet? And I really thought I'd do this. And then just kind of going, oh my God, really? Like, like just tear everything up. Whatever I have done, it's enough. It's enough. It's enough. And also that time space continuum changes with the frequency Mm. shifts. So what you may have planned to do six months in advance Mm. it's like the time space energy has shifted it really has i know we keep saying that but it's like we're on a spiral of the of the energy continuum Mm. and i think those old paradigm calendars don't really work have you had wobbly days and had to search to find your soothing yes (laughs) in there yes so that's that's what we're talking about this this episode right we're talking about how we get through this we're talking about soothing and numbing another word that we could use is addiction basically what we do regulating self-regulating basically what we do when the shit hits the fan and how we cope with that (laughs) is that what we called this episode (laughs) when the shit hit the fan fan, now what (laughs) um and my goodness hasn't the shit hit the fan um there's so many reasons to soothe at the moment so kiki how are you soothing come on be honest (laughs) I love Don't it when we do. Out. I love it when we do our therapy sessions at the beginning of the um of the episodes. It's a catch up. I have many different ways of soothing, um, mm. and some of them have been good for me, and some of them have been really bad for me. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when I Support really you. think about what I really do to soothe, and soothing maybe not necessarily is a positive. Maybe numbing is an even. Mm. They go either way, right? It can be soothing. It can yeah. be numbing. For me, it's, it's fantasy. There's always, for me, I've been able to find a doorway in my head that I can step through when the shit hits the fan. And in some ways, it makes me an amazing meditator. It makes me an amazing channel because I'm able to access these different areas in my my brain, in my psyche. Mm. Um, It's also made me a love addict. That wasn't fun. That was like 10 good years of dealing with it and then another 10 to unstitch it. Um, It means that if I... If something really bad or hard is happening, I'll just mainline TV. I just like put Netflix in my veins for like five weeks in a row. Wow, let's go, yeah. which is opting out. Yeah. That's like the real numbing side of things and not engaging and not healing and not supporting, just disappearing. Being in another world, not in your own yes, world. Yes, running away to another world rather yeah. than dealing with my own, which I guess is what numbing is basically. What do you do to numb or to soothe? 
L mm. and tell it's me. An interesting truth. question because yeah, <laughs> I will tell the truth. It, it's interesting because it's had to change and it's mm. changed and it's great that it's changed. But I've gone through a massive journey with this because I had incredible anxiety when I was little mm. and I didn't really understand why because it was a lot of repressed memories that I hadn't put all the dots together mm-hmm. with and I wasn't fully in my body. So whenever you're not in your body, alert bombs. And eventually, weirdly, I found my way to bulimia. That's mm. how I used to regulate my anxiety. And I wasn't overweight at that time. I used to just find it incredibly comforting to feel sick and then be sick. And I used to feel a rush of energy through my brain at the end. And it would be like I could start again. I wasn't heavy. I wasn't holding. It was like I'd purged something. And it went on for a few years. It's so interesting that you say that because I also have had eating disorders in the past. Mm. And the first time I met I'm going to cry. The first time I met you. It was in an Indian restaurant in Surrey Hills and we were all there together and a f- mutual friend of ours was like, this woman called Lynette is coming to dinner. She's a clairvoyant. I was like, mm. do love Indian. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I, not great though, because I was in my eating disorder then and we all had dinner together and then I excused myself and I went to the toilet and I threw up. And it was like throwing up Indian is the worst. Oh, it's <laughs> not not pleasant. Yeah, there's and you know, support anyone out there who has that because mm. I think the thing was when that was happening to me, everyone was like, Oh, it's because you think you're overweight or mm, but it's because not. you you know, you're you're just tension seeking and I was like, No, that I worked out as I was recovering from it that what I was doing was I was actually seeing this kind of stars at the end of it. My brain was fully experiencing something mm. that would calm the anxiety. Yep. And a yep. little bit of so control, like a drug, a little bit of like taking though. back control, being there able to like, issue. yeah, expelling something I yeah. couldn't expel in other means. Oh God, support you to anybody who's currently going through this. It's yeah, we support you, and you can do this. There, there are can. ways out, and hopefully today we're going to talk about that kind of stuff. We both got out the other side, yeah. and you can do it too. Yeah. So I've also soothed with love and fantasy. They were my other go-tos. And, of course, then that led to a sex kind of soothing addiction as well, if that was there to have. I mean, I went pretty much through everything. The only thing that I was like, I don't think I've been big into was video games did not enter my realm. Doesn't do it for me. And also gambling. I never had any money, so it wasn't (laughs) like I could really go there. Doesn't do it for me. But anything that was about connecting relationships or if there was a chance to dabble in something that was chemically numbing I definitely have found my way there but I always have this thing that it's interesting now because there are things like Netflix and stuff things that weren't even in existence when I would have needed them exist now so I understand that plugging into a tv show and yeah when we were teenagers and in our early 20s there wasn't you couldn't really have a technology addiction at that point could you there weren't there wasn't smartphones there wasn't like this constant access to technology that might have been the soothing or the numbing yeah I was definitely addicted to the radio like I had the radio on every night Mm. and I was calling my friends on a landline but you might remember that as soon as somebody connected to the internet the landline like crapped out or as soon as somebody else in the house wanted to make a call you had to get off the line (laughs) so yeah couldn't be secretly in my bedroom because my father would pick up the phone and go get off the phone you've been on the phone for two hours (laughs) so all of that was kind of regulated by the world yeah yeah in a weird way 
so it's fantasy for me and then anything I can put in my mouth, <laughs> like oral fixation. So food, uh, drugs, specifically marijuana, I guess, has been like the one. It was never alcohol that never really did it for me, but like weed. And I think that ties into the fantasy was always like a doorway that felt really easy for me to step through as well and disappear, yeah. and disappear and soothe and yeah. numb. And I think it's like all of these, they're like they're good until they're not. Because that's the thing about numbing. It's like a coping mechanism, right? It's not good or bad. It's where it goes that determines whether it's helping you or hurting you. Well, it's interesting because my soothing, regulating experiences didn't actually lead me into therapy. So I ended up dealing with them because I was in therapy. Like it became obvious I was soothing myself as we were going along. But I've also had some really great things I've soothed myself Mm, with. And they're my go-tos now. Yeah, nature is now one of my greatest allies. Mm -hmm. I was so disconnected from nature at one point. I used to wear black and go and sit on the beach and not get into the beach while my parents were all at the beach. I didn't want to be in the world. I didn't want the sun touching my skin. I didn't care that the grass was growing. I was Mm. so disconnected. I'm not going to blame the cure for that because (laughs) we probably met on some plane, but I was listening to a lot of... The cure. At I that don't think time. we need to use the word blame. I think we can use the word thanks and gratitude. Yeah, they helped me through that time and um, probably started my black clothing addiction. But I think the other thing that I have become connected to is meditation. Yeah. It's my go to. I don't like it if I can't do mm. it. And yep. I think there's some things you can use that you go, yeah, I'm slightly dependent on those, but they're better for me. Yeah. than something that is going to create kind of a chemical dependency yeah yeah mine is um is self-soothing so I actually like stroke my arm and have a little chat with my inner child whenever I like am really triggered by something specifically if I want a cigarette so that's the other thing I put in my mouth smoking I smoked for 20 years I would still smoke if it didn't kill you I would smoke all day every day Mm. but it does kill you so when I get to that point Mm. where I'm like this is how I'd like to numb out now I just like stroke my arm and talk to myself and like you know Mm. talk myself through it do a bit of self-soothing um yeah meditation for me as well and prayer prayer is my real soothing Mm, little chat with the universe about what's going on um I always say if there's one thing I could take to a desert island I wouldn't necessarily need clothing but I would take the, the power to pray yeah, yeah, I think out of everything I've ever learned, ever done, ever actually thought worked, prayer is my number one thing in my spiritual toolbox. That is my go-to. So yeah. I love that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love it as well. So we're talking about numbing and soothing and and like addiction. What what is it? What are we talking about today, Lynette? When we say numb, soothe, addiction, why do we do it? How do we do it? What is that? I think we are trying to find an internal balance, you know, whether it's in our brain chemistry or our nervous system or our emotional regulatory system Mm. to meet some kind of energy that feels out of control, either from an external influence or it can be an internal experience as well. Like you have a thought or a spark of some kind of feeling or emotional sensation or too much need to bring myself into balance it's coping comes in from the outside isn't it it is it's all coping mechanisms yeah 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 so we look for something that we can use or do to create a calming response in the body so that might be like they've done these studies and they're like okay people feel most regulated when they feel 
grounded, so they're present in current time, whether when they've got familiar surroundings, like you know where your cereal box is, or mm. that's your bed, or you're wearing your boots, not somebody else's boots. Mm-hmm. Um, also, things are ordered. Yeah. So you know what's coming first. So, oh, we're about to have lunch or about to have dinner. And so those things calm a person Mm. they've done um studies around it and they've gone okay some people need time alone that's generally human beings need time to reset and go to be on their own so we do things that kind of try and help us get Mm -hmm. to that state we don't know that's why we're Mm. doing it we don't know oh i'm trying to twirl my hair because it's making me feel like i am ordered because Mm. it's cyclic we just know that it feels good Mm. We just know that it feels good. But the brain and the nervous system's going, oh, good, you're in familiar surroundings. Yeah. Oh, good, now you're eating and your body's going to do this. Like it's these all these primal functions that we're actually trying to respond to. And I think that's part of it as well as what turns it from a soothing or an, into an, or a numbing into a, a problematic addiction or a problematic numbing is that it, it's kind of surface level it doesn't get down to the cause you're like I twirl my hair because it just it makes me feel good so I keep twirling my hair it doesn't take you to the next level of I currently feel uncomfortable or challenged or traumatized by dot 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 and I'm going to name it and and deal with it you're just like yep nope this I'm coping with it watch me cope with it yeah yeah so if you think about it developmentally there's a child's brain or cognitive development isn't able to consciously say, mm. my mummy left, yeah. so therefore I started rocking and yeah. stomping my foot. Yeah. They just rock and stomp their foot. But as yeah. we get older, if we're emotionally processing ourselves and in self-awareness, we say, oh, that's interesting. Every time you leave me, I go straight to the fridge. Yeah. Or every time yeah. you leave me, I get on online shopping, yeah. I hunt, and then I like browse and then I add to cart and that's a bit exhilarating. Mm. And then when I spend, there's an exhilaration. Then I go into deep, dark shame and then it arrives at my house and I feel great and connected again. So we don't actually take the time to understand it. But to think about it like this, hair twirling, cyclic, rhythmic, sucking the thumb is like sucking a cigarette, sucking the mother's nipple. Mm. Like these are primal responses yeah. to things that we're missing. You know, and they're not all the same. Cutting, purging. Yeah, it can be kind of hard to name what it is that's affecting us as well if it's structural. So if it's something like structural racism Mm. or structural misogyny or even capitalism and you're like, well, it's the water I'm swimming in. Can I, I can't even tell you that I'm swimming in water because I'm a fish and I've always been in water. I don't know what this is called. It can take a long time to go, oh, this is what's bumming me out. This is what's hurting me. And I think that was the whole thing about 2020 and us really taking a look at Black Lives Matters and all of that energy and saying, hey, there are things that people are enduring and suffering that are because of this feeling and this system and they're taking it out on themselves, yep. they're taking it out on each other. We have to stop this because yep. we can't fix the problem until that is fixed. And yet that's one of the things that doesn't happen, right? And so we start victim blaming yep. the people who are hurting or harming or being harmed or getting into conflict. Yep. But it's a natural human response to go, I have to regulate this. I have to get control somehow. Yep. I've got a deal. There's amazing reports came out of Kosovo during the war where there was a big zoo there and the tigers 
started to hurt themselves. And what they realized was that the sound of the sonar was so strong on their body and they couldn't escape. They couldn't get anywhere. They couldn't leave. They couldn't get to freedom. They couldn't run. They couldn't do anything with the sound and the pain. They started gnawing their own paws. And there's many researchers have looked into this with animals that the more we experience a sense of restriction or trauma or inability to be able to function as our being needs to in freedom we tend to self-harm and so when we can look at that and go okay I need to reset this story the whole story the whole energy the whole circuit the whole function we find our power again when we have our power we can rebuild. Often it's disempowerment that leads to the feeling that we can't cope and we take it out on ourselves. Any real conversation about mental health can't just be about an individual's mental health. It has to be about a society's mental health and then that's when stuff gets big and when we really have to talk about pulling these structures apart because you can't deal with the symptoms, you've got to deal with the cause. And on a bigger level, because you and I always talk about the spiritual revolution, that the revolution eventually will be that we become self-aware and we start regulating with our spirit as well as our body yeah. and our mind. Um, but if you look at that, that means that we have to address the concept of suffering. Yes. And this is where it crosses over into spiritual work, like energies of addiction and numbing cross over into spiritual work because you'll notice that all the stuff you know in history in literature around spiritual work there's a lot of stuff in there about suffering mm. and overcoming suffering and i'm not talking necessarily just in a biblical sense but if you look at what the new age is talking about the people in our woo verse yep. it's how do i become more mindful and in management of the way i'm feeling the way it's responding to the world the way the world's responding to me yeah and so this is how it is part of the woo verse and how it's so spiritual really I'm, I'm not a buddhist i don't know so much about the actual story of the life of siddhartha the, the buddha but yeah. that's what it was he was in the palace and yeah. everything was delightful mm. and he'd never seen mm -hmm. suffering and then he left and he was like shit life is suffering yeah. i don't know if yeah. there's a section there where he went into what his coping mechanisms were in that story whether he did kind of go and numb and numb out and then come into the middle path the balance i think it became overwhelming and yeah. i think that he may have he certainly experienced all worldly delights that's yeah how they, that's how they describe it that, and i think I there's a lot of women around there a few worldly and, delights <laughs> big fan i know mm -hmm. <laughs> he's a, everyone has their entitlement to that Good. In yoga we talk about the path of effort and the path of grace and I've always had this theory that there's a third path which is the path of excess which is like I don't know anybody who comes to yoga because they're like my life is great and everything's fine and it's sunshine and puppies I'm gonna give this yoga thing a shot everyone's like I just got divorced I just lost my job I just became broke mm. I just all of this broke and I'm crawling into yoga on my knees and that is like you can crawl towards the bar on your knees or you can crawl yes. towards yoga on your knees which isn't to say yoga can't become a an addictive habit it can like it too can be used yeah, in an yeah. unhealthy way yeah but again it's all just looking for coping mechanisms isn't it it's always just looking for the boat to get us through the choppy seas i know this amazing psychiatrist and he used to say to me what is your mother's milk mm. because he used to Cigarettes. say you know, and they have. They've done amazing studies about this. There was one in the, the current biology journal in 2013 and they talked about this woman who was a scientist and she kept noticing whenever she picked these baby mice up, they would go into this position and they would look really rested and really 
calm. So it inspired her to do some studies. What happens to babies when they're regulated with their mother and they're connected by touch or they're calmed? And they found all these somatic responses mm. in the heart rate. Well, the baby could feel themselves in relation to space and so they felt, therefore felt safe, so therefore was regulated. Now, when you take that away, that becomes really difficult because that baby has to seek for something else yep. to make the regulation happen. Yep. And so there are a lot more studies around this now. And so basically, we're all these beautiful big adults. I had this vision when he was talking about it like, searching for that mother's breast and yours might be weed and someone else might be cupcakes and mine might be you know going and watching the Netflix series over and over again and you know work addiction is another nipple you know and so we get this somatic response it particularly works in the brain to tell us you are safe see you're back here it's okay and if that's not replaced with something healthy yeah things really get off track and it's so individual isn't it because if you want to talk about maybe like say an addiction to crack cocaine and an addiction to Mm. work in our society Mm. one is demonized and penalized and one is rewarded and applauded and seen as a good thing even though neither of them are healthy capitalism yeah right like neither of them are healthy neither of them are helping you they're both hurting you but we've decided oh no like work burnout burnout shows how tough you are crack cocaine addiction shows how weak you are and it tends to be class markers and race markers that actually determine what we decide is an okay addiction and what's a not okay addiction our society needs to take responsibility or the leaders of our society need to take responsibility for the fact that this is working from the whole concept of Maslow hierarchy of needs mm. like you need safety you yep. need love yep. you need belonging and self-esteem you need self-actualization to evolve and if communities and the people they're leading don't get those things then that really should be up to them to provide that as a responsibility because society cannot literally function human beings cannot function we know that if they don't have that experience so of course they're going to reach for things that are unhealthy if they don't have access to the healthy stuff. There's this amazing group of clinical and developmental psychologists and they've started this project called Project Soothe. Mm, Check it out. It it's sounds like my web. kind of project. Yeah, it's amazing. It's um, from the University of Edinburgh and they research the psychological effects of how people soothe, but they want people to get on there and tell them what you're doing to soothe. So it's part of a mass understanding trying to get to people and say what do you do when do you do it why do you do it because this is an area where we're still trying to understand and obviously it's evolving as society Mm. evolves as pressures evolve as people find new ways to soothe we they want to understand this more and more I think also as we're taken out of community and into individuality like maybe the way we soothed in the past is the whole village came together for this festival and we were all in it together or the whole village came together and we had an initiation for the young people or a recognition of the old people and that's how we like processed and coped and we had structures and we don't have that anymore we're all floating out in the sea of individuals yeah yeah great project soothe is that what it's called project soothe check it out yeah we'll put a link in the notes so when we're talking about about soothing when we're talking about numbing when we're talking about addiction And whether it's like a healthy coping or an unhealthy coping, what Mm. is it that creates an imbalance? How does it tip to being unhealthy? Yeah, like how does one drink on a Friday night for one person 
be totally fine. Yeah. And then another person get to a point they cannot have that drink yep. with their pizza yep. on a Friday night. It's yep. amazing, isn't it? Mm. For a while, people thought there was a, an addiction gene. There's pushback against that now, isn't there, that idea? It was once thought that there was that addiction gene for sure. And it turns out that the business of inheriting vulnerability to addiction is a very complex one. And that many genes and their expression can contribute to a genetic predisposition or even dependency can be higher. But there's no specific gene that has been found to say that this is going to lead to this for sure. They did an amazing study with rats, didn't they? Where they showed that like if you put a rat in a horrible cage and you give it a bunch of cocaine, Mm. it'll just hit the button and hit the button and hit the button and Mm. take all the cocaine. Mm. But if you put it in Mm. rat paradise with like friends, little ratty friends Mm. and like a little ratty water park and you give it the cocaine, it won't even touch it because it's like, no, my needs are fulfilled. For instance, oxytocin has been implicated in social stress coping, verbal emotional sharing, social and physical warmth, social touching, soothing music effects, satiating our mind. So you can see how this relates to things like drug addiction because all the experiences of physical warmth and the mental receptors feeling a more sense of community relationship all happen during those experiences. The trouble with that though is that when we go through a fake high, the oxytocin goes up but it doesn't regulate, it drops And we have, there's been many studies that found that when the oxytocin drops, it's characterized by a sensation of rejection, Mm. a feeling of social coldness. So it does actually start to replicate through the way we present in the world. So when we have low oxytocin, we're less likely to reach out, we're less likely to connect and therefore Mm. creates a bigger hole, bigger problem, needing more filling, Mm. needing Mm -hmm. a bigger high that lasts for longer. So interesting, isn't it? How this is chemical, but it interacts with our desperate need inside, our primal need inside to be soothed and regulated and to work out where we fit in to the space, probably to feel safe on a primal level. And this is the interesting thing. I mean, from an energy perspective, the more you drain, the more you need to fill. Yes. So if you're reaching, say that again. Can you just say that again? Because that's (laughs) important. The more you drain, the more you need to fill. So it's the idea that you get all these amazing circuits through your energy system. Like This is how I like to visualize it. And you get to decide as the banker where they go and what they do. Now, if we're connecting and it's a great time and it's a wonderful night and I have one drink and it's not just the drink, it's the connection. It's all of my synapses are being filled on a very truthful and authentic energetic level. Mm. Our circuits are exchanging. Awesome. But if I am secretly drinking out the side and I have to give 10,000 circuits over to that alcohol, then I have to recover 10,000 circuits. So I will keep looking to do that in the quickest way possible, Mm -hmm. like the rat. I'll Mm -hmm. go button, 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 button. button. So we're not really finding the answer. We're not really changing the situation. We're just putting a Band-Aid on it. But for a while, that Band-Aid feels very good. So if you've been expelling a lot of love or energy, you'll look for something to replace it. So maybe that will be chocolate because it's an instantaneous oxytocin high replicates a lot of that energy or cocaine. You know, the idea that there was this gateway theory that was coined in the 70s and the 80s and actually came about because of the war on drugs that... If you just gave someone marijuana, it would lead to an automatic addiction because it would need they would need more and more. Now, although there are studies absolutely that talk about progressive addiction, it's really the neuropathways that 
we're laid down very early in our lives that mm. often give us the predisposition mm-hmm. for the gateway mm-hmm. drug of needing to be soothed constantly. You're right that for some people, the gateway drug is their environment or the it trauma. It makes so much sense, doesn't it? The linkage between trauma and substance abuse disorder is absolutely compelling. In a paper called Origins of Addiction, there are reports that people who experience four or more ACEs, mm-hmm. adverse childhood experiences, are 500% more likely to abuse alcohol or a chemical drug. So trauma, aggressive childhood experiences or antagonistic in childhood experiences where we can't recover from them as a child. There's no way you can cognitively understand that or make that right. Trauma is truly the gateway drug. And I think you even need to, like, all you need to do is look at somebody, especially in the throes of an addiction to something that's absolutely tearing their lives apart so potentially maybe heroin and and their their lives are just so hard Mm. because they're on heroin and you have to think about why that that is preferable to what it was they were living before like what they're escaping is so difficult that actually this is easier for them yeah and I think you know for a long time it was always the gateway drug is marijuana the gateway drug was that gateway to good times sorry (laughs) <laughs> well, not always. But, um, Use it responsibly. Not always. But, but what they've really found out is these ACEs, the experiences are really the core issue. Oh, the gateway. It makes it really clear that to heal this, we, we can't just take the thing away. Mm. We have to look at the original reason that somebody was going and trying to, you know, soothe their cerebellum in the primal brain, that little brain that holds, you know, yep. most, I think it's the tiniest part, but it holds the most amount of neurons in the brain and I think it pulls apart because we when we talk about addiction again what's an okay addiction what's a not okay addiction Mm. we have a whole bunch of moralizing bullshit around it as well yeah that's like saying that a person who is in addiction is is less than or is weak or you know whatever blah 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 um and I think I argue that it's part of the spiritual process absolutely I I don't think everyone has to hit this horrendous rock bottom Mm. but if you like the Buddha story yeah excess led to him sitting under the Bodhi tree regaining balance that is possible but you're right society goes oh I think we're out of control. I hoped that we are doing better. I hope I hope that maybe hope so. in the way our parents and their parents thought about addiction, we think about it much more open now. As in, like people struggling, needing to cope. You look at the person rather than moralizing, or um, seeing it as a weakness, just seeing it as a part of our humanity. Well, they've been doing a lot of research on the opioid crisis oh. in America, and no surprises there that the unemployment, the poverty. Yep ill health, social isolation, all have higher rates that lead to opioid addiction. It's not because people are weak or or silly. It's because they're in trauma and difficulty and have something to escape from. And also there's no control. Yeah, or help. That's what our massive, um, I guess, our call to action in Mm. 2020 is. We've never been more out of control in so many ways so how do we reset that balance without harming ourselves and each other i think that's a very worthy question because Mm. we could all take this out on each other that's 100 percent true and like you said it's not just going to end in 2020 and 2021 it's just going to be all roses and we're dancing in gardens and in streets and having lovely parties lovely i hope there's a renaissance coming but i think you know we could take this internal feeling of fear and being out of control Mm. and turn it outward in a negative way or inward 
in a negative way yeah. as well. Yeah. Have you ever had a conscious experience of of the tipping point between okay, this is healthy, and oh now, now I'm moving over into unhealthy. This needs to stop. Do you know? Yeah, in my younger days, they were just like I was being guided by somebody else, and they were like, "Oh, I think you should think about what you're doing with that, and let's not do that." But it was actually quite a few years ago now. It was after I had my third child, and it was pretty intense. I had two and a half year old and a one year old and the sound and everyone was bumping into things and bumping each other and every day was like a smash crash test derby it was really intense it was about feeding eating sleeping getting things right getting timings right it's very intense in the car out of the car change the suits you know and not my natural domesticity is not my natural state State, yep right so that was a i would say the dance floor is your natural state but yep i take yep (laughs) say that too groundhog day became intense and I noticed I started getting these headaches and I thought one day I was like rushing around I've got a headache I've got a headache didn't think maybe you need more water maybe you haven't had five seconds to yourself today I just went I don't ever take Panadol but I was like I'm going to take Panadol so I went to the cupboard of course I had a box because I never take it so I started taking Panadol Mm. and I was like right okay that felt good great I was a headache off I go another round of whatever mothering Next day, same time, I've got that headache again. I'll take another two lot of Panadol. So over, I don't know how many Panadol were in the box, but we got to a point and I said to my partner, he said, oh, I've got to go to the shops. And I said, oh, Panadol. And he went, Panadol? Like, because he's looking at me like, you don't take Panadol. And I went, no, Panadol. Yeah, Panadol. He said, have we got a whole box of Panadol? I went, no, we don't have a whole box of Panadol. Well, I ate I've that. I used all the Panadol. And I, he looked at me and I looked at him and I thought, hmm. Because I'd done a lot of this work, Mm. but I turned to myself the next day with a whole box of it to go. And I know it's only Panadol, but it was the behavior. What I was doing was like, I can't cope with the sound. I can't cope with this feeling. I've never been more restricted and yet feel guilty because I'm not loving more. And I reached for something that I've never reached for before. And there it was. And I had to constantly say to myself for about three or four weeks, have a drink of water, wait two hours, yeah. then see how you feel. And then it was actually a really big decision to try not to go back to it. And I could understand then how wine because yeah. dinner as with parents becomes a winner. Yeah, because yeah. it feels good. By the end of the day, you're, you're out. You yeah. know? Yeah. 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 So I think it, it is it's a slow, you know, when we talked about the drink on Friday night, it's slow. Mm. It's not always like I was dancing on the dance floor and the next minute I was in the gutter and I didn't have a job. It, it's this very slow boiling pot where for a while you're managing yeah. and it's almost like become seamless. Like yeah. just add another yeah. packet of Panadol onto the yeah. list of things to go to the shop and then you realise, I've had Panadol for 105 days. There's this idea right. in addiction circles of thank goodness for my addiction like gratitude for my addiction because at some point it actually got me through. It did until it didn't and then I had to sort it out. But there is a period of my life where maybe I wouldn't have got through it if I wasn't using alcohol. And it's not it's not the solution, but it yeah. got it got the job done and now I need to deal yeah. with the fallout from that. Yeah. But yeah. 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 And my favorite court jester, Russell Brand, who wrote a fantastic book on recovery with chapters like, Are You Fucked? Could you be a little less fucked? <laughs> Important questions that chapter. need answering. Important questions. He talks about this where 
there's a therapy session and someone says, well, congratulations, this is fantastic. You found the thing you needed to soothe to get through, but it's no longer working. So what are we going to do about it? And that's absolutely true. I mean, anything that becomes an initial self-soothe is because you needed it, but it's registering when it tips that point and that you're going, now I'm reaching for it and I said I wouldn't or I'm buying it from a new place or I'm selling my car to play games of Warcraft or whatever it is and you're like... You can tell we don't know shit about gaming, can't you? Games of Warcraft? (laughs) I don't know. How do you even do that? How does that work? (laughs) World of Warcraft. (laughs) I actually read a gamer once and that is the truth. He had sold his car to participate with his avatar at the level he was in. And that's why he had come to see me. This is where we start to talk about the energy of addiction and that energy system that you described before of like energy in, energy out. And maybe initially the energy in, energy out and the Panadol the first time you did it didn't really disrupt your energy because you certainly weren't sending any energy to like mm. hiding it or dealing with it or... No, I yeah. put it on the shop yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. But then eventually yeah, you're spending more energy coping with the coping mechanism then you are healing the cause and that's yeah. when you're out of imbalance yeah. and also I had started to put it in my purse because mm. I might take him in the morning it is such a strange thing for me it's why it's so memorable because I witnessed myself I didn't even need it it probably wasn't doing anything yeah. it was just a source of ah concealment when you start to conceal what you're mm. doing from yourself from others that's a really good sign that you've tipped into imbalance. If you're not comfortable saying to your friends, I'm doing a gram of cocaine every day, if you're instead going to the bathroom and hiding that that's happening, it's probably a sign that actually you're in addiction or you're moving towards addiction. For sure. And Dax Shepard talks about this on his Day 7 Armchair Expert podcast, which was awesome, about how he had started to lie to his wife and his friend and... It, it was actually the thing he was using that again, started right? to and eat him yeah. up. Yeah, he was many, many years sober and people were celebrating his sobriety birthday and there he was knowing sober. he was being high. And that feeling, I think, is the worst mm. feeling. You at the Indian restaurant, you yeah. know, if you had to come back and said to everyone, hey, I didn't keep that meal down. Everyone would have gone, we love you. What is going on? Can we help? But when you go, I'm not even inviting that anymore. I don't want to know that you love me and you want to help me. I just want to be able to go and do what I want to do. Thank you very much. And not only was I giving my energy to concealment at that time, but then I I clearly remember coming back to the table in shame and fear. Shame of what I was doing, fear that people would find out. Like, that's where yeah. I was out at dinner with friends. I was young. I'd moved to Sydney. Good times. Yeah. And I wasn't having a good time. I was in yeah. giving no. all my energy to fear, concealment, shame, pain. Yes. So you've hit something here and this is the energy of this stuff when mm. we're numbing, self-soothing, regulating and go going into an imbalance or an addiction is that the energies that are most harmful to us are actually those energies that we're hiding, which is the intention that we're not used to. It's not an authentic, aligned intention. So we start twisting our circuits and we become Mm. inauthentic or out of alignment. And then any of the energy that's coming through our hologram, which, you know, is just coming through the way it comes through, 
is actually filtering that to the outside. So you think, nobody saw me put on the lipstick, flushed it down the loo. You know, he was taking the pills in his pocket as he went for a pee and then took them and was like, I don't think anyone's going to notice I'm high for the rest of the afternoon. But that feeling in us, that energy template that we're hiding does come out into the world and then we feel horrendous and then we start taking that out on ourselves and so then we start then playing not only are we trying to feel but we're trying to feel triple because we feel horrendous because we're doing this thing to the people we love including ourselves it's a very vicious cycle. Yeah, and it, and that's all dealing with symptoms and creating new new yeah. problems. At no point was I going back to my deepest problem in my bulimia yes. and my anorexia, which was like lack of self-love and lack of self-worth. And at no point was I putting all my glorious energy circuits into that. No. I was putting it into all of my coping mechanisms and then concealing them. And it's just a dead end. It's not... Yeah, it's like it's a it's a dead end. It no doesn't circuit. go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's famous poems around this where they talk about the addiction as a living thing. It becomes almost like a living energy outside of yeah. yourself that is saying, "Give it to me. Give me your energy. I will secure. I will secure you. I will support you." And possibly it did in the worst times of your life, yeah. or the the thing you're addicted to is creating the same pain. So it's almost like pain pleasure pain and you remember yeah. this this is familiar I think that's why it was so hard to overcome it as well is because it felt like cutting a part of me away because it was like but who am I without this this is such a big part of me now this is like I yeah. carry this with me what do you mean I could put it down and walk away no I couldn't it's like asking me to put my yeah. arm down or my leg down and walk away it becomes habit forming of course mm. and any chemical addiction the brain synapses starts to actually need that to yeah. feel normal so yeah. when you take that out everything feels bland but it does feel it doesn't matter if you're living in the most beautiful place on the earth you take out the high yeah everything looks like crap yeah. while your serotonin and everything it's is rebalancing pumping mm-hmm. so you're right it does feel like that i tell you one of the reasons i teach what i teach is because of this and overcoming this and having this feeling But as I had done my work and my therapy and I was getting to a point where I could understand my trauma, I understood what happened, I understood why I was needing to do something and even that I had thrown up after my abuse. So that was normal for me Mm. to have to feel scared and then to throw up. It had started way back in the original pattern. So when I had reclaimed that and reset that through somatic body work and my therapy and my mindful work with energy... I went to do it another time and it was because I was feeling uncomfortable or I was feeling, you know, like I wanted to feel light or whatever it was and I couldn't do it. Yeah, right. I went, I I put the toilet seat down and went, Mm. I love myself and I can't do this. And it was actually the only thing that made me stop was (sighs) self-love. And that sounds so cliche, but it wasn't a word. It was a feeling. I can't cross that boundary because I'm harming myself. Now, I didn't have that before. I I was harming myself all over the place. I was letting other people harm me. My boundaries are like a tent door that was constantly open. in the breeze. (laughs) Come on in, do what you need to. Hey, I'll play it out with you. So to have that feeling like, no, I don't want to hurt myself, it was the, you know, I can't remember exactly what day in summer it was. It was out the front of a very common place, my parents' toilet, and I remember thinking, not today. And And that's the tipping point, isn't it? That's where you tip it back from being harmful to tip it back to being supportive, helpful, taking control in a a healthy way. And it's self-love 
as a, as a doing word. And, and I feel like for some people that takes years and years of therapy or years and years of work. And for some people, it's just like it turns on a dime. It's like the lightning comes through and you're like, no, no, I am done. Well, and for some reasons, because that stuff that I was talking about before about being held by the mother and it yeah. relaxing your muscles and calming your heart rate and changing the cortisol and serotonin in your body. If you haven't had that, that wasn't your base. What are you returning yeah, what, back yeah. to? Yeah, how do you learn how to do that? Self-love and regulation and healthy comfort. So you have to relearn that and you can. That's the great news is that the studies they've done in, on top of that is adult human beings can learn to self-regulate. Yep. Adult human beings yep. can do this. And mindfulness practices and woo-woo practices that we talk about and have been on about for a while now are some of the ways that we find a center and an ability to self-regulate if we didn't get that as a child. So we learn, how can I ground myself? How can I soothe my own serotonin yep. and cortisol back to a positive level? Yeah, how can I calm you my know, nervous that's system? That's amazing. I yeah. think that's amazing that we can heal this. Good news, old dogs. We can <laughs> learn new tricks. It's possible. <laughs> yeah, and often you're right. It does take a rock bottom, Carolee. Mm. And people often go, what exactly is a rock bottom? But it's different for every person. Yeah. Yeah. right it's and and it's like same. a seminal moment it doesn't have to be i lost my mm. house i lost my job i lost my kids mm. it can just mm. be that point where you're like oh my god i can't do this anymore something yep. needs to change control of my life maybe like, i don't know I've how to change my job. it it wasn't my choice maybe i can't or... change it right now but i acknowledge that this is not working anymore i need something new here yeah, yeah. and the common word that I've heard people talk about in Rock Bottoms is today I just felt no power and no hope. The good news is about Rock Bottom is if there is one part in you in that moment of Rock Bottom that can reach out and get online and pick up the phone or send an email to any group in the world that has got the same issue that is supporting people in recovery as you, that is a moment of change yeah. that is changing the circuitry you're literally taking those circuits and going i'm going to plug it into here larry yeah. from aa gave me a call back and larry from aa knows me now yeah and he's going to call in he'll probably call three or four times the next few days yeah even if you're still drinking because he knows what that's like yeah. he knows what it's like that you don't want to call and you don't you want to isolate but he'll come and help you and I, that's it, isn't it? It's a little bit from going from, no, no, I'm isolated, I'm in it, to mm-hmm. help. Oh, my God, please help. Yeah, help. one step yeah. in another direction with people who understand what it's like to go from nothing to something or redirecting those circuits is one of the most powerful things you could ever do besides reconnecting to yourself, nature, and the divine. So all of this talk of, of numbing addiction what are we actually addicted to and like and like we said before some people you can have a drink some people can't have a drink Mm -hmm. um I feel like the thing that I see people and and that I acknowledge in myself I didn't name this at the beginning but I should have technology oh my god I love after a hard day pulling out my phone and just zoning out and scrolling through shit feels amazing and I love it is it good for me? No. You're so right. Does it soothe no. the shit out of me? Oh my god, yes, it does. I would say I ha- I have acknowledged in 2020 I have a phone addiction. Yeah, for sure. And I have to place really strict boundaries around myself with it because you know it's just always there. And especially when you've got parents doing something or yeah. kids doing, and you kind of the call of things. Like yeah. I'm the class rep for my class. <laughs> Hilarious. 
But that means I feel like if someone needs to know, does the swim bag require an extra set of goggles this week or the swim bag needed, I need to be there. So you become, it's like you always say, supercomputers in your pocket and it becomes this access all areas pass to you and you forget, actually, no, this cannot happen. I need to take some action. And and we've been through this a little bit because part of recovering from anorexia and bulimia or any kind of food issues is you've got to keep eating it's not like where you recover from heroin and you're like I'm just not going to do heroin anymore when you recover from anorexia you need to still eat you can't ever get away from it it's something you have to deal with every day we need our phones it's at Mm. the point now where everything's on there my work is on there my social life is on there my map Mm. to get around is on there Mm. but I also, my social media that numbs me out that isn't good for me is on there. So it's like you Mm. daily have to lay boundaries and have a practice of moderation and mindfulness and control. And it's freaking exhausting and I'm over it and I'd rather just numb out. Thanks. The thing about a phone though is you can change it to black and white. You Mm. can put on time limits about how long you can be on there so it alerts you. You can even have it cut out and you not be able to get back on the app. Like they're useful things. Mm. Love and sex addicts talk about this all the time yeah, because yep. love is everywhere. People are everywhere. Yep. Sex is actually really more available than most people would like to think. It is everywhere yep. and they find that really hard often to regulate that because it's being human. Yeah, like yep. what am I going to do? Isolate, never meet anyone. I find everyone attractive, you know. Yep. And so it's a very – these behavioural addictions become very difficult and living in an industrialised society – you know, I think we've become addicted to self-preservation, yeah. but we're doing it in all these ways, whether it's coffee to get us to work or... Wine to calm us down at the end of the, the day. Wine to calm us down, yeah. yeah. Tobacco and nicotine to deep breathe. Because it's, it's amazing. If you think about all of them, they're all trying to do something that we are not using that circuit or cycle of energy properly, mm. including sex addiction, release of anger I feel like and emotion. technology is particularly insidious in a way, and it's all in that it gives us kind of a simulation of what it is we're seeking. So I'm seeking connection. I'm seeking love. There's yeah. Tinder. I'm seeking intimacy. Yeah. There's Pornhub. I'm seeking what, it, you know, yeah. I'm seeking community. There's Instagram. Yeah. And it's not actually yeah. what I want. It's not. No. It, it's But it's close enough, and it gives me it's the like dopamine that it satisfies me for a bit but then that's exactly what leads me back because I'm on the phone I'm not actually in my community getting the doing the hard work of what I want I'm just getting the simulation it's not enough I go back I get the simulation and that's the loop we're in isn't it so have you heard of nomophobia no no mobile phone phobia no mobile mobile phone phobia phobia. sounds like I've got it yep It describes people who have a psychological attachment Mm. to their phone and they can't be away from it for a certain amount of minutes. They take it to the toilet. People die because their phone falls in the river and they jump in the river after it. And I get it. I'm not even judging those people. I get it. Yeah. And have you ever tested that? Like I have a lockbox in my house. So we have to put it away. Yeah. I have... You know, one of the signs that you're addicted to something is you change your emotional state or behavior when you can't get it. It's not just always tremors and withdrawal from chemical stuff. I find myself visibly agitated and looking for my phone more than I look for my children. Yeah. Yep. And I, I'm like, I, um, has yeah. anyone seen my phone? Oh my god, has anyone seen, seen my, my phone? phone? I I've haven't touched my it in phone. 10 minutes. Have I got my phone? Um, did you see my phone? And I think, oh my god, <laughs> that is 
It's not funny. Yeah, I turn my phone off on Mondays now. So this is my, this is how I, yeah, I love that. deal with this. And, I, you know, I'm in a specific case where I don't have children. I don't, you know, I can really, mm. nobody depends on me for shit. It's amazing. So it means I can turn my phone off and if an emergency happens, it's okay. Um, but yeah. I turn my phone off on Mondays. And the thing I always say yeah. about it, and it comes to me every Sunday night as I'm going to bed, I'm like, all right, here we go. And the thing I say to myself is, thanks, I hate it. And that's the attitude I do it in is like, I'm glad I'm doing this. I freaking hate it. And then on Tuesdays, I get back online and I'm like, oh, thank God. It's true because the energy that you've been sourcing from it mm. is not real mm. and it's, it's not truthful. So once you can get through the withdrawal, mm. you're actually like, life is so much better and I'm seeing energy again of human beings and sourcing plants and maybe going to yoga and actually being there, not thinking, I wonder what's happened on my phone. Yeah, yeah. It's true. I try and do a 30-day period of something if I mm-hmm. think that mm-hmm. the energy is taking hold of my circuits to test myself. Yeah. And that's how I knew that I had the phone thing because it didn't happen the last time I set it out. And I also noticed during COVID, obviously my partner and I had to work. So there was more increased iPad time for my kids. I love all those people out there who are like, I never give my kids iPads. You're very special. I am not one of those people. My kids have regular iPad time. And we had noticed that they had stopped looking at each other when they were talking. Mm. And we had extended the time a little bit so that people could get things done. They were kind of more occupied because we couldn't go out. And then when we took the iPads away, there was 48 hours of tears and sadness about when iPads were coming back. Because that's how they were emotionally regulating. what was happening to my dragons when I don't get to see my dragons anymore. And I watched it and I was like, wow. I get it. (laughs) I understand. Yeah. 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 And, you know, but within 48 hours, they started playing with toys again that they hadn't played with. They started speaking and creating games together again. So... It it really did bring home to me how important this is for a whole generation. But when you've got parents who are home working in COVID times, Mm. I'm guaranteeing you the iPad time increased. And I was speaking to a behavioural optometrist because I've had to have my eyes checked recently. Your glasses are looking um, good. (laughs) I feel like you're actually, the way you look at the moment, I feel like you're about to take the glasses off and take the hair out and do that sexy librarian thing. You're just going to be like, what, Uh huh? <laughs> it's always great to get new glasses, but the fact that I need glasses is big for me because yeah. I've never had glasses. Yeah. I know we are opposite in that <laughs> respect as well. Had them You're since well I was 10. The foggy yep. glass syndrome. <laughs> yep. But he was saying to me, it's really interesting because people are looking at screens more, our focal length is shortening. Mm. And so it's really affecting our eyes and our brains and the headaches, which Panadol classic, you know, reach for it, reach for it. Yeah. Is he said these are modern things. These are happening in modern age. Fingers hurting. I remember you saying, "Oh, my fingers hurting from scrolling," and I thought, "Oh, is that what that is?" Oh my god! This so that's my confession about this year is I gave myself RSI during lockdown during ISO. I got RSI from using my phone so much, and it's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. But yep, yep, that's the thing I did to myself. Yeah. I was just doom scrolling. But that, you know, that I think those are the signs, aren't they? That's another addiction. Doom scrolling is a very modern addiction as well. And it's connected to technology, but it's connected to like feeling like I have to know everything that's going on everywhere around the world, even though it hurts me and it keeps me up yeah. and it builds on my anxiety. I am constantly checking news, constantly 
yeah, doom scrolling, just constantly. Soldier, I think commenting on anyone who doesn't mm. feel like you feel, and I think that feeling is going to continue because we're living in a polarized world that's trying to come together, yep. and so that's definitely something that's occurring. Yep. You could see that during the election. That was, mm. you know, that that has not gone away, but it was heightened. During that time, everybody just constantly trying to say their opinion from their side, and then someone else would come at it from this side. And then this, and we, yep. I'm like, we're guys. We're not having conversation together. Yeah, yep. We're having it in isolation. It's not Consumption. Consumption's a really big one. And actually, in Australia, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but in Australia, drinking has gone up during COVID. People are drinking like something like forty percent more during. Well, interestingly, in any depression Mm. and period in history, lingerie, lipsticks and alcohol always sold. The things that go up, yeah. So things that people just go, I just need a little something to feel good. So that's interesting, isn't it? Online shopping. Do you add to cart and then just leave it in the cart or are you in any way connected to online shopping? No, so I fucking hate shopping. I'm so bad at it to the Even point online shopping. Oh, all shopping everywhere at any time. I, I wow. hate to the point Again, where there was this <laughs> when I was in, in Berlin and I was teaching yoga and I was teaching 14 classes a week and I also am very forgetful. So I'd leave like a, I leave things behind me like a trail, like Hansel and Gretel. Um, and so, and I was going to different yoga studios and changing and I'd lost a lot of yoga clothes and I'd got down to the point where I had one sports bra left for 14 classes a week, including my, oh. and then my own practice on top of that. And I hate shopping so much that I wouldn't go and buy, wouldn't go to the shops. And eventually a friend dragged me to the shops and I got like the three sports bras I needed and I had the money. And then I was like, nah, I can't do this. And she's like, oh my God, buy the clothes. Just do it. So I shopping, it's like shopping and gambling, not my thing. Hate it. Hate it. Okay, so interesting thing about that, isn't it? Because we can be either overindulgent. So, for example, you can be sexually promiscuous to a point that it's addictive mm. or you can be sexually anorexic. Mm. But both of those levels of energy are imbalanced. Yeah, They're yep. both – like someone might go, oh, it's more pious that this person Again, isn't having any bullshit. sex at all. Yep. Yes, but that's actually as detrimental yeah, to a human being's yep. balance and psyche as yep. it is to be overindulgent in it. Same with you. One sports bra for 14 classes, yeah, yep. not wanting to spend $14.95. Yeah is crazy compared to going, I need what I need to self-love, which is to get to the classes with my materials and keep my boobs in check. Yes, take care of my boobs. (laughs) Living out of a suitcase was a really good solution for me hating shopping because I could never buy anything because I lived in a suitcase for three years. So it was a fantastic solution. Well, during COVID times, I realised that there was a point, I think it was when my children were little, that I had bought too many 90s. I don't know what, maybe it was like sleep that I was craving. So yeah, I must have okay. You're like fantasizing go, about a full 90, night's 90, sleep. 90, yep. 90, 90, 90, 90. Yep. Beautiful, lovely, 90. Love it, love it, love it. And I realized you have so much sleepwear and you're and one, you're you are never sleeping. <laughs> that is hilarious. And I was like, I don't even wear that now. Yeah. I wouldn't even wear yep. that now. Yep. So it's interesting, isn't it, that sometimes certain times in your life that a lot of people will add to cart and not buy. And I've been saying to people, you can actually send energy circuits out with your eyes. So Carolyn Meese talks about this and she says, you know, say you're suffering from some kind of lung issue and the doctor says, please give up smoking. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're nodding yes and you walk out of the doctor's surgery and you haven't had a cigarette for four days. 
But if your internal intention energy system is still mm. going, all I can do is think about the cigarette. Yeah. All I can do is about the cigarette. It's called white knuckling. It's only yeah, a matter of time, time until... that you're going to follow the circuits of energy. Yeah. So you haven't really solved the problem. You've just gone sure, sure, sure. And that's a bit like adding to cart and not buying. You kind of have this big pool of $250 sitting in your cart and it's waiting for mm. you to pay. I think this... So cancel the cart, people. Cancel, <laughs> cancel the cart. <laughs> um, this kind of leads us into a conversation of, of the cycles of addiction, doesn't it? Because white knuckling mm. is one way that we can try to get through addiction, but it doesn't um, yeah. always necessarily doesn't work. Because um, support, so support and community is the opposite of addiction yeah. and connection is the opposite yeah. of addiction. What is the cycles of addiction? How does it work? Look, I love Gabor Mate. He's a he's done a few TED talks. He's out there when the body says no, the cost of hidden stress. And he talks about how the brain is affected when we're binging. So the basal ganglia gets a really big hit and then we go through a withdrawal negative effect and that's the extended amygdala, amygdala. Sure, yes. Yep. Great. And then we get this preoccupation anticipation at the front, which is the prefrontal cortex. So he says in an addictive cycle, the brain is getting an entire hit. Mm, so if you're living in really boring circumstances, Groundhog Day, get up, go to the factory, come home. The brain is creative. The energy of a human system is creative. So we're like, where's the cocaine? Where's the cheese? Where's the mm. fence? Where's the boundary? Where's the excitement? Yeah. And so he says you can see that the brain will seek to find it inauthentically if it can't find it authentically yeah so there's the contemplation stage and this is the part where you're trying to work out how you're going to get what you want Mm -hmm. and that that could be your fantasy stage where you're thinking and thinking and thinking about oh i'd love to go there i'd love to get that i'd love to meet him i'd love to mm -mm." the anticipation can be amazing like it can be really um uh, powerful and evocative and mm. and some people sit in that for a long Mm. time so that's of the favorite phase because it's safe. Mm. You're nowhere near it. Yep. You're just thinking about it. But eventually, chemically, that won't last. So you'll need to prepare for it. So you start to prepare how you're going to get there, what's going to happen when you get there, what will you need. So it's all happening, ringing, phone calls, whatever. Yep. And then there's the action stage. Mm. Now, this is a different hit of adrenaline because there's fear involved. You're yep. about to go close to the electric fence. Yeah. And then there's the electric fence and that feels usually like some level of heightened pain and over the time of working with this I've noticed that that phase really reflects the height of someone's abuse pain as well. So that is a very big phase. And it can be real relief in that, in, in that mixed in with all of that. Very I wasn't doing the yes. addictive thing and now oh, I am. I don't have to try to not do the addictive thing anymore. Oh, thank goodness. At least for this two minutes Thank goodness. Yeah, and is. there's a few things in there, isn't there? Like your body gets the high, mm. so it's like tipped over the edge into numb. And then there's also the feeling of it's complete. I've done yeah, it. I did it. Thank goodness. I'm, yep. I want to go to bed. Yep. And then you can either keep going on that phase and just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat more of the addiction and just keep like like little Pac-Man where you're like, another one, another one, another one, another one, another one. What day is it? I don't know. Or you go back into like, I've relapsed and I, I'm at rock bottom, yep. I can't move and then you can go into recovery or you can move into a pre-contemplation stage. Now that last phase, 
is really difficult unless you have somebody else who is kind of pulling you out of the ocean and supporting and you. going, come with me. I've got you. It's why we yeah. say support you yeah. because it's about breaking a cycle. It's about knowing you're not alone. And it's also about saying to someone, I am in the hardest phase of my cycle. Yeah. I'm probably not making great decisions and I need someone to keep me out of Pac-Man phase. Yeah. I'm just going to keep going back to it. But that Pac-Man phase, depending on how much you've isolated yourself from everyone, can go on and on and on and on and on until something goes like a brick wall. And that can be part, part of addiction as well is I'm the only one going through this. I'm the only one who knows how this feels. Nobody who's ever been through my yes. particular set of circumstances before or understands my pain. Yes. Only I understand my pain and then I'm adding all my pain. So then there's all these new flavors of pain that nobody understands. Yeah. And the way you get out yeah. of that is somebody like that's the thing. Humans have been addicted to shit since day dot. Whatever addiction oh it is you're currently going through, someone else mm-hmm. has been there and someone else has recovered. And and so much um, wisdom and writing and services and support exists to meet you where you're at and help you move past it and give you the tools you need to get free. And it'd be interesting, and I'm sure there's anthropologists and historians that have done studies on this, but it would be... I think heightened since the industrial age since people have disconnected from nature and regular cycles of earth and seasons and suns and food and things that keep us in the earth rhythm and frequency the further we've got away from that our brains are seeking more artificial experiences of this but you're right there's so many civilizations yeah yeah I would say that addiction has definitely risen under capitalism pre-capitalism we probably just could like go to the Greek orgy and have a few drinks and feel really good the next day it's a little bit different all these years later, though. So, it's, yeah. <laughs> yep. I was just thinking there are many civilizations that have had their downfall mm-hmm. due to excess mm. and people not being in mindfulness of what that was leading to. Yeah, yeah. I guess. What is the opposite of addiction? Well, you mentioned it before, but it's true connection. Mm. And I think it's sort of becoming creative rather than destructive. It's learning how to do all this self-soothing and regulating and rebalancing and become creative, not destructive. The connection with being authentically held by a community or Mm. yourself or the divine forces, you hear a lot of people talk about higher power when they're recovering from addiction. And that's because that feeling of being held by something greater which is an amazing feeling is a very powerful healer in this phase of recovery yeah i think it can be the cause of addictive behaviors as well the feeling of a god-shaped hole inside of you and you're like i don't know how to fill that hole so i'll fill it with all these different things and then eventually you learn that actually i can fill that myself through through supportive behaviors through prayer through connection to our higher power through surrender i can i don't have to be scared of my god-shaped hole i can walk through that hole through a door and find that connection Mm. to something greater that is there rather than Mm. the need to paper over it or fill it in and it's interesting, it's often the hurdle for people with mm. recovery and 12-step groups is that we talk about higher power, yeah, yeah. we talk about spiritual connection. I mean, people do mention the word God, but in in recovery, usually we say God of your understanding, yeah. whatever that may be for you. That could be nature, it could be your cultural deity, it could be anything, mm. but it's the concept that you are not in control of the ship. Yeah. So if you can ask and surrender this to something higher... Yeah that happens i'll tell you a beautiful story 
I was at an addiction recovery center once mm-hmm. and this girl was having so much trouble with the higher power concept. She'd made it through her journey and she was about to leave the recovery center, but she was like, the one thing I'm not down with and I don't know what to do with is that I don't really get this concept of a higher power. I didn't grow up with it. I hope it's there, but I, I don't know. Everyone waved her goodbye and she went out and called her taxi. There weren't any Ubers in those days. And out the front she went and we just all assumed she was gone. And then when she came back in several hours later, patient as ever, she's like, oh, the taxi didn't come. And someone said, oh, you should have just asked your higher power for it. And it was a bit of a joke. And she said, all right, higher power, send me the taxi. And I kid you not, yeah, the taxi pulled up out front at the door and she went, she, her face kind of just looked at everyone and everyone went, yeah, I think you're good. Yeah, you got, good you got go. this girl. You got you this. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think, you know, anything like that, the reason I think it's important to go that way is to test it. Like if you've never been to that kind of group or you've never felt that kind of support, don't knock it before you try it. Go yeah. that way and see how you go. One thing we hear a lot around the recovery process is this idea of relapse as part of recovery. And it's really, I really love it. It's weird that I want to say that I love it, but I like this idea that it's built into recovery, that it's not Mm. a linear process. It should be. That you don't have to figure it out immediately. It's not switching from one state to the other. It's a practice and practice makes progress. It does not make perfect. And you're allowed to take two steps forward and one step back. And that is part of the process as opposed to you failing at the process. Absolutely. Relapse should be included in the Mm. process of what you're learning about in your addiction Mm. phase because people often come to me and go, Okay, I did great for 90 days yeah. and I've fucked it. And yeah. I'm like, no, 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 you haven't fucked it. This is your chance to build the muscle yeah. to become stronger than the craving. Yeah. Great. Okay, so we start again. Mm-hmm. And they'll often say, oh, the second time's harder and I knew it would be. And I say, only because you're more conscious. Yeah. But yeah. you also have also your got consciousness the as the tool, yeah. right? And so I think you get better at going, okay, there are nuts and bolts things like removing the substance from your house, yeah. like not having it on tap, telling everyone around you, I'm not doing this anymore, do not answer my call, you know, making sure that you don't go to the pub with $100 in your wallet, making sure that that just doesn't happen, yeah. finding activities to do together with other people, I did this amazing study that was like, okay, why does willpower fail people? Mm -hmm. And so there's this marshmallow test. I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. And he discovered that if you leave a child in a room with a marshmallow for 15 minutes and say, okay, if you don't touch that for 15 minutes, you can have another one. Very few children could last the 15 minutes and not take it. But what they discovered was that the children that could distract themselves with a song or a story to themselves or went under the table, did not touch the marshmallow. And often by the time the person came back in, they were like, oh, hi, was that 15 minutes? Yeah, whereas if you're sitting there looking at the marshmallow. Right? Mm. So when you just take something away from someone Mm. and you don't fill the void, it's a very big, hard withdrawal. Obviously, to withdrawal chemically and psychologically, you need a space where you are totally away from your drug, years if possible. But the concept that you need to put something in is, I think, so important, don't you? I just don't understand why we don't get this. It's like you can't just rip someone's circuits out and have them waving in the wind and 
not plug them into something positive. Yeah, often recovery is seen as unplugging from something and it's like, wow, sucks to be mm. you. You can never drink again for the rest of your life. And yeah, Deal you've with got it. no friends. Suffering your jocks. But actually it's a plugging in. It's like, congratulations, well done. You get to enjoy the rest Upgrade. of your life. You can I get up early so. in the morning and go for a walk. You can like be creative. You won't live in shame. Like you get to plug into all these beautiful parts of you that you weren't accessing before simply because you unplugged from that, um, that part of you that was causing you so much pain. It's a door opening, not a door closing. It is. It is. It's absolutely a door opening. There's this wonderful quote and it says, it says recovery gives all that adi- my addiction promised. Oh, yes. Recovery yes. gives all that addiction Say that promises. again. Recovery gives all that addiction promises. And yeah. I believe that there are so yeah. many stories and I have held so many people through this where they're creative or they've got a business idea or they've got a beautiful vision or they want a family or whatever. And I say to them, okay, you're holding your addiction in one hand and this dream in the other, but you need both hands for the dream. Yeah. If we can just get through this, this is going to be, and this is what you really want. But, you know, often when we've come from a place where we never really got the dream, Christmas wasn't really our answered prayer. Mummy and Daddy weren't there. Yeah. It wasn't all beds of roses and lovely fairy tale whistles and unicorn poops. It was pretty harsh, pretty yucky yeah. and depressing. The thought of giving up something that has brought friends and yeah. community and, and connection and a high and is tangible and you control, yeah. I say when, is very hard to give up. Yeah. And so that's why 12-step and groups like that really work and mindfulness energy work works because yeah. you're plugging into the divine yeah. you're plugging into a new group of people that say hey i'm going to talk to you every day and be interested in you and be your friend and have honor for you and i'm not going to give you your drug and i'm not going to give up and on I'm you, here for you either i'm like support you yep support yeah. you we can get stuck yeah. in recovery can't we? Like, and again, it this is kind addictive. of like the, the yeah. relapse as part of recovery. Yeah. I, I find a lot addictive. of people get stuck in they want it to happen now. Yeah. Impatience. Where that changes for me when I've watched people work through this is step five, step six, which is where you humbly admit and take a fierce and moral inventory mm. of what's happened, what it's cost you, and yep. you have to make amends and go and talk to those people if it's possible about what it's cost them yep. and the impact it's had on them yep. and those around you. And often because you are sober while you are doing that, mm. the feeling and the memory of that energy of sensation that, oh, you were standing there loving me this whole time, you were on the other side of heroin or you were on the other side of this addiction is very visceral yeah. and very real. And then there's a sponsorship that can help that person and go, this is the beginning. Yeah. Don't, don't, this is not, this is not the end of everything. Yeah. We've got you keep going. So step five, step six, looking at where this has gone and why it's ended up here is a powerful step being Mm -hmm. able to be truthful and authentic Mm -hmm. which is often very hard in the beginning isn't it because we don't want to say look I'm a good person but I've just lied for three years I've been lying to myself I've been lying to you that's quite a big challenge Mm -hmm. for the ego Mm -hmm. but once you get over that yeah that's what they call it the recovery hump because it's shadow work writ large as well isn't it it's like really especially when you've been avoiding your shadow work through your addiction and then all of a sudden you're like Dealing with it, dealing with it and stepping towards yeah. it in a way I've never stepped towards it, like going to finally do this work in, in its biggest, 
hardest, most beautiful way possible. And a multidisciplinary approach, which is to look at it as an attachment Mm. issue. Like what happened when you were little? How stable were you? How did you regulate? How did mum and dad regulate? What was the patterns of energy ups and downs in your life? Let's look at this. Let's regain your power. Let's look at how you can manage this is the first step and then then looking at how you can become powerful and truthful Mm. with the people that you're present with is the next step and all these things build self-esteem so every time you grab one of those circuits back and you said day by day moment by moment i grabbed a circuit back today i didn't reach for that bam you get another hit of energy that's real that's yours if you are truthful and your mum says i forgive you you know Mm. i get it i love you or I don't get it, but you go, that doesn't matter that she doesn't get it. I did it. And your sponsor says, good on you. Plugged in. You walk forward with more circuits. It builds energy. You're a magnet. More comes in. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's this wonderful experience of energy recovery, basically. And then you come into your power. Then you come into your power and you get to feel your authentic power, not your deluded. I was on, I felt powerful because I was on drugs. I felt powerful because I was starving myself, whatever it is. You get to actually stand in your true power, your authentic power. Yeah. And a lot of people will become addicted to the recovery process because Mm -hmm. they're white knuckling. Mm -hmm. So they've given up their drug, but they're doing 25 online classes, which is great. But if I said to you, are you listening to your people at work? Are you feeling... They'll be like, I can't feel. So yeah. you know when you're recovering from that white knuckling process because you can feel and you can release. And you're not just replacing one addiction with another. You're not just like, exactly. yep, no, I'm not doing, I'm yeah. not drinking at the moment. But yeah, I've been online shopping and watching Netflix for seven hours today. But I think it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone is stuck in that recovery phase where you're like, oh my goodness, I think I'm white knuckling. That is where somatic body work, Mm. breathing, gestalt therapy, somebody who is trained in processing emotion and memory through the body, worth their weight in gold because what they do is they reset a neurological pathway about coping with the most traumatic moments of your life so that you know, you know what, I don't need my drug. I can go for a swim or I can breathe through it and I won't want it at the end of it. I can get through the 15 minutes with the marshmallows in front of me Mm. and I'm going to be okay Mm because I've got another technique. So somatic body work. Yeah, yeah. Because on the other side of addiction and recovery is the rest of your life. And and again, all those things you were actually seeking but not getting through whatever your addictive behaviour was exist on the other side of your addiction, exist on the other side of your recovery. You've just kind of got to Definitely a fresh believe it and work it? to it. And people will often say before addiction, after addiction. And I don't think everyone has to go to the end where they lose their house and their no, job and, no, you know, no. to have that before and after feeling. But I call it before I was in conscious and before I was in management, after I was becoming mm, conscious and in yeah. management because obviously it's an ongoing process. But I think one of the gifts of recovery is that you start to trust yourself again. Yeah. I trust Mm. myself to know that I can let the marshmallow sit there. I trust myself to call for help. I can soothe myself in ways that are positive and truly loving for myself. And then you start trusting in life again because life starts feeding back. Love you too. Love you too. Yeah, And especially if you were never cared for as a young person or, or not particularly well cared for and you weren't taught how to care for yourself and then through the process of recovery you learn how to care for yourself. Oh my god! Like, wow! That is that is leveling up in the most amazing way, massive way, massive. We talked about this together on um, the Power Podcast, mm. Power Shift Podcast, which was that 
act, the act of self-care and self-preservation is a revolutionary act. If yeah. you come from a community that has basically told you go to hell and die and you don't deserve welfare mm-hmm. and you don't deserve education and you say, no way, I'm fucking not letting you harm myself mm-hmm. and I'm going to love myself to every day bits. every day yeah. every day and i deserve to be on this planet and i'm going to stand on your doorstep and lobby for all those around me then you have just created an act of power and reclaimed spirit that generations and generations haven't done and did you hear that hoot somebody's like somebody was yes, like yes <laughs> but i think the acknowledgement that that is a very yeah. big road and blessings to those people who are holding that journey because is it the same as somebody that comes from a privileged background and doesn't have to save their community no it is but it is a way of gaining power in that community and reclaiming the self and it and it's the power that we talk about a lot the power too because that's the power that when you come into that power you're not taking anything away from anyone you get to put the rope ladder down and pull the next person up in that power yeah um yeah Yeah. right yeah yeah. Hey, do you have the um? Do you have the Serenity Prayer there? Is this the time that we? Uh, I do. I have it on my the, fridge. The, actually, that we get into this. <laughs> yeah. So God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Oh. Amen. Amen. That prayer is truly powerful. Do you have that one? Do you have you said that before? Yes, that was something that was in my house when I was growing up. Actually, not from a recovery point of view, but that was like that was one of the prayers that was hanging around. Maybe it was on like a coffee mug or something. Yeah, yep. So I've always sat with it's that. It's been around since the nineteen forties. Mm. It's said at every meeting, yep. every group meeting, every support meeting. But it's really about being clear that you're able to change and act. On some things and sometimes those are the things you choose every day what you put in your mouth how you treat your body and they sound so cliche now because self-love and self-care have become so you know commodified that we almost forget how powerful they are as acts of change but also the courage to know look I can I can do it if I if I want to I'm not alone I can reach out and I think that is something that's wonderful about 2020 isn't it that Mm. we have got the doorways open. There are things that we did not have available to us 10 years ago. Five years ago, there wasn't an Are You Okay Day. In our parents' generation, okay nobody, wasn't nobody asked each other there if they were okay. Yeah. yeah. Yep. No. Do you know what? I was craving on. I was craving meditation when I was younger and I had to take myself there and find somebody mm. that somebody had spoken about in the backwoods of a cafe. Maybe go and see this woman. Now... That's good. No, it. it's not. It's Here we are. You know. Um, now the Instagram ads yeah. will just give it to you. It's all good. Um, I think the yeah. thing I like about the Serenity Prayer is the idea of I of surrender, because I have a mm. control complex, control mm. issue, savior complex. Nobody who knows me is surprised mm. by that statement. Um, and the thing about that that actually is really powerful for me is the surrender and the understanding that I don't need to be in control and it's okay. It can be a everything. relief. Yeah. And I don't have to mm. figure everything out and know everything. That's okay. It's a relief. I think that's the yeah. really like, yeah, yeah, some things I cannot control and that is okay. That like, I think yeah. most of my addictive behavior comes from the desire to be in control and the fear of not being in control. Well, our generation was really raised on a disciplinary level to believe everything was our problem Mm. and we were naughty if Mm. we couldn't do it. Whereas now it'll be interesting with this generation, I know people talk about this with millennials, is that 
we're like this person is not able to do that so let's try and you know cater the world this to is them a structural rather problem than rather make, than an yeah. individual problem yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's, it hopefully breeds a little bit more positivity around that yeah, it's going to be interesting to see these kids coming up who have these great tools and techniques that we didn't have, this great way of looking mm. at structural problems as opposed to individual mm. problems, but also have essentially a poking machine in their pocket from the time they're 10 years old. They've got, they've got the tools, but they've also got the issue. It's going to be really interesting yeah. to see what they do with it. It, it will be, won't mm. it? Because we keep saying, you've got the power, yep. dun, dun. And 40 million followers. Dun, yeah, dun. but you've also got the phone. Oh, hold on a minute. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you need to learn to drive the Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah, so love can become enabling here. Yeah, so, so there's addiction when mm. we're in it or addictive behaviours, numbing, mm. soothing. And then there's the people we love going through those things and us watching them, potentially supporting them, potentially enabling yeah. them. How do you support yeah. people going through addiction? The concept of the addict and the enabler is a co-host relationship. Mm. It's a co-addicted relationship. So think of it like this. Someone is functioning outside of the addict. And so they're supporting them like a host plant. They're going, you know what? I need you because I'm not functioning anymore. Mm -hmm. So can you go to the shops and get me my food? Mm. Or can you supply me my rent because I'm not working anymore? Mm. And so what happens for the addict is they look at somebody and go, they look for somebody who can function outside of them but stay. Yep. Now, who is that person? An empath who has a deep, deep wound around not wanting to be alone yep. and knows that the addict's not going anywhere, even though it's really hard and really yucky. The addict then goes, okay, my commitment to you is I'm always going to need you. Yeah, I might treat you terribly, yep. but I'm never going to go. And so... The empath is also someone usually who didn't want to deal with the pain on the inside, was helping others as a pattern in their childhood, and they need somebody where the pain walks on the outside. Mm. So the addict needs someone who's functioning in a way that they're not, and the empath who is wounded and becomes enabled needs the pain to be walking around in the addict. And they go, I'm helping them. Yeah. So both of these people end up becoming these very interesting reflections it's like for jigsaw each other. puzzle pieces it's isn't it exactly Gabor Mate says this is an absolutely amazing phenomena the addict will be able to spot that person a mile away and the empath will look at the addict and think that's amazing you're amazing you fit so many of my pieces of my yeah. wound and my puzzle and he says it's completely beyond conscious sensory level but it happens at a deep, deep primal level knowing this is fitting into a familiar energetic pattern. And it can be really complicated as well within families. So like especially if it's Massive. a parent supporting a child through addiction, yep. which, you know, families yep. are kind of forever. Like you can draw boundaries yep. and walk away, but there's that deep energy yep. of families that it's very hard to do that. And also maybe as the parent supporting the child, you helped create the conditions that led yep to the child's addiction and yet you're still there trying to help them but then are you enabling them how do you draw a boundary how oh, do you love someone who energy. cannot love yeah. themselves and can, how yes. do you care for someone who cannot care for themselves it's support you I'll out support there if you're going you. through that yeah because oh. the enabler goes through a really really painful time too the mm. empath or the enabler connected to anyone who's in addiction and that 
terrifying experience is very real and often replicates a childhood energy and pain Mm. as I was talking about for them as well and essentially it's where all the love turns to fear all the love has gone out of whack and it's not in balance and this is what we're talking about today is how do you bring it back into balance and a lot of addiction recovery groups now have groups for the people, for the people who, are who are connected supporting yes yeah and i would strongly recommend yes. those because they talk about how to love yeah. with boundaries so yes. for example you might have been paying somebody in cash and they might say no more cash food drop off in bags yep. something pay they the can't rent sell. straight to the real estate yep. pay the rent straight to the real estate yep. otherwise you know we we start this enabling cycle and what we really want is building them up and helping you to let go and it can be equally as painful for the enabler to realize i'm addicted to my addict yeah yeah in some way i'm addicted to that wound walking around on the outside yes so much support support. so so much support for anyone going through that what are our takeaways from today Lynette, besides cigarettes are amazing and 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 they're great and um we all like a bit of sugar and phones are incredible Until they're not. Do you know what? I, I think the main takeaway, because we've been talking about so much, mm. but I think what we've been talking about is self-preservation. Yeah. Right? Johan Hari, who did an amazing series of TED Talks, which I'll also put a link to in the show notes, said, you are not a machine with broken parts. You're an animal whose needs are not being met. And I think if we remember that yes. and look at how can I meet my needs yes. through divine connection true authentic connection how can i seek the support to heal my wounding how can i learn to regulate and soothe as an adult we're on our way Mm. like i think that's the basic it's the it's yeah absolutely it's the long and the short of it isn't it that whatever coping mechanism you're using that is not serving you know that there is a better one out there that you actually can go and find that will get you what you want and what you need and will not be destructive for you it is possible it is possible to heal and i think the reason this is so important is that we've all been restricted and on some level it's brought our trauma back up if it's been there, that we haven't had a lot of control and there's been a lot of uncertainty. So for many of us, it replicates things from the past. But I also think what this is about is getting used to and equipping ourselves for freedom yeah. and power. Yep. So the reason this is so important is because if we are going to evolve and we are going to go into a consciousness revolution, then we need to say, hey, I can have the whole world at my disposal i can be completely free and creative and i'm not going to destroy myself or others or the planet and you know do you see i think that's kind of what this is all about on some level yep love it all right what does the world need now what do you got for the world needs Ooh, now? What does the world need? I mean, now? It so sounds much. Like it needs a lot. Like, like <laughs> maybe a drink. Just no, like a hug. It does not need a it drink. It needs a hug and oh a, my god, a good Charlie, it meeting. needs a hug. Mm. It needs a hug. Yes, elbow bumps are not enough. That's what we're learning. <laughs> There's going to be a lot more than elbow bumps in Australia this Christmas. I tell you, Whew, get that balance on, people. Okay, I think what the world needs now is gather film. Gather. It is a portrayal about how Native American communities are reclaiming their spiritual, political and cultural identities through food and their cuisine. And it is a brilliant film. I'm going to put a link to the actual landing page for the film so you can support the community and find out where to watch it so it goes directly to them. Awesome. But it is brilliant. It is such a great, and it's everything we're talking about, about the losses around power and language and design and cultural practices and hunting and connection to the earth. 
and how to reclaim that and reset that balance. You always have the best documentary recommendations. I love documentaries. Thank One of my that. special soothing techniques. <laughs> techniques. <laughs> um, I think the world needs now uh, the books of Trent Dalton. He is an Australian author. I recently saw him speak and yes. he just blew my mind oh, and opened my heart. You. He grew up in really impoverished and violent circumstances in the Brisbane suburbs in the 80s and there was addiction around him there was violence around him there was a lot of trauma around him and he really overcame it like he did not go into addiction in order to to cope with what has happened to him he went into magic and expansion and connection with the universe is his way of coping with what happened to him his books are not easy reading so his first one um uh, Boy Swallows Universe is the one I'm going to recommend. If you've had heavy childhood trauma and violence and abuse, tread carefully. It's a difficult book, but oh my God, it's magic realism. It's set in Brisbane. It's amazing. Um, I really, I really, really recommend it. And if you can find any of his talks online um, or anything kind of other writing that he does, um, yeah, yep, get into Trent Dalton. He's he's fantastic. Beautiful. That's beautiful because that's really that destruction mm. and creation it's everything we're talking about about the yep. power and of the possibilities for process. how healthy ways we can it. cope with what's happened to us yep yep hey l where can i find you online speaking of technology <sighs> addiction you go, yeah <laughs> <laughs> you can go to myenergymentor.com or follow me on instagram at myenergymentor just a lot of myenergymentor really it's easy. <laughs> that's Simple. how you can find me where are you out there, Kay? Uh, I'm KiriliLynch.com, K-I-R-I-L-E-I-G-H, Lynch.com. Otherwise, come and find me at Sacred and Profane on Instagram. Um, hey, Elle, support you. Support you. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. The Woo Verse is recorded and edited by our incredible super producer, Dan Zivkovic. We love him. And if this conversation has brought up anything for you or if there's any extra work you've realised you want to do around this topic, then please know that you do not have to traverse the Wooverse alone. We encourage you to build a support team around you and to do what you need to do to take really good care of yourself because you're amazing. So be good to you. <laughs>